Let's uh, pray together for you again. Father, thank you for the privilege of being alive, being alive during these days. Thank you for uh, the fact that uh, your kingdom has come and your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, Lord, you would uh, speak to us. We're all at different places. But, Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say when you speak. Prepare our hearts with the courage to uh, respond and to honor you as God. We lift up this time to you as an offering. In Jesus' name, amen. Fifty-seven years ago today, a significant event happened in our world. Does anybody know what, recall what that was? Not all of you are around 57 years ago, so you're okay. 57 years ago today, anybody know what happened? What? Yeah, John, President John Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, those of us who are advanced in years, as my doctor refers to me, uh, remember where we were, what we were doing when we heard those news. The 1960s, one time I, when I was working as a hospice chaplain, a social worker, said, Tommy, uh, my son in middle school has to do a report on the 1960s, and he needs to interview somebody that was alive back then. Can he talk to you? I said, yeah, I, I was very alive at that time. Made me feel old. But uh, the 60s was, well, you know, with, with various assassinations. In our country, protests, riots, beginnings of the drug culture, hippies, change in pop music. It, it, was, a, it was a confusing and chaotic time. Um, but then the 70s came along and they brought us the Jesus movement. And several people in this room, including me, came to know Jesus as a real person. At that time, God was moving in a fresh way, in a new way across the land. The, the, really, the traditional church was not ready for what God did because um, new expressions of the Christian faith came on the scene. I, I'm so glad, I, you know, that contemporary music came on the scene. I, 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 I really enjoyed that, really related to that. It helped me a lot. What became known as the charismatic movement appeared, and, and many new Christian denominations were, were formed. Uh, but let me ask you something else. I don't know if anybody would get this one. We had one person get the other one. Someone else died over November the 22nd, 1963, in addition to President Kennedy, who was very significant. Does anybody know who that was? Who said that? Oh, right. Am I impressed? I didn't think anybody would know that. C.S. Lewis. Now, it probably wasn't on the front page because of what happened with President Kennedy. But I, I believe in terms of the kingdom of God and God's will here on earth that C.S. Lewis may have been the more significant person who passed away that day. Which brings us to today. 
There seems to be a lot of upheaval and turmoil in our nation right now. And let me just ask some questions. Do do you think God is busy right in the middle of all of this? Okay. All right. Uh, You know, uh, if you say no to some of these, that's all right. You know, it really is. Have you been praying that God's kingdom will come and that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven during these days? Have you been praying for Christ's church that it would be purified through the things that we may be facing in the near future? Do you expect God to move afresh and anew across the land once this present confusion has passed? And it will pass. I'm not sure how long it will take. I do. I really do. And I've been praying along the lines I just mentioned. I want God to work in me whatever it takes to put me in position to recognize what he's saying and doing on earth right now. I don't think it will look like it did 50 years ago. I'm just saying. But it's going to be Him. I want to do God's will. I want to allow Jesus to live His life through me in the various circumstances that He sovereignly is going to orchestrate in my life in the coming days. I just retired a month ago. People said, are you enjoying it? No. For one thing, we moved at the same time. And I'm still trying to find things. They're in a box out there in the garage somewhere. But but I plan on enjoying it one day. Okay, I plan on getting into a routine and finding all my stuff. And uh, But I want to be present with the Lord and present with whom I'm with. And I believe that a new season is coming. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure anticipating finding it out. Because I, I, I know it's going to be good. See, see, I believe for myself as well as everybody else in this room that God has a destiny that only we can fulfill. I believe the Bible teaches that God chose us for himself and planned our lives before he ever created the earth. That's wild, isn't it? I uh, believe that each of us was born for such a time as this. And I believe the reason we're alive right now is to do God's will. Now, uh, 2 Timothy 1.9 says this. God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Isn't that an amazing verse? I mean, if, it, if it's true, and it is, isn't that an amazing verse? From all eternity, He had a purpose for us, and He had a grace that was going to be made available for us to do that purpose in His Son. Philippians 2.13 says that God is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words, it's, it says that through God's Spirit that He's placed in us, He's working to give us the desire to do His will and then the ability to do that desire. Ephesians 2.8, I mean, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Let me ask you a question. In that verse, 
What does the word that refer to? Does it refer to uh, faith? And that's the gift. Does it refer to grace? Or does it refer to salvation? Now, I'll answer that question for you since I ask it. Uh, one of my propositions at home, at my house, is my wife one time for a gift gave me a, uh, a study by one of my professors in seminary on the book of Ephesians. And he took the book of Ephesians and diagrammed it in Greek. Now, if you want to borrow that book, you're going to, you're going to have to just look at it at my house because I don't want to let it go. But it's so valuable because that's what I did in preparation for today. I just went through there and looked to see what that referred to. If you know how to diagram a sentence, you, you know we've got some English teachers here. You can do that. It also helps to know whether a, a, a word in the Greek is masculine, feminine, or neuter. Not that it has sex and you look at them, but they, they classify words that way. And this word can only be referring to salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Then he continues in verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship is the word P-O-E-M-A, that we get the word poem from. We are his unique masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. If you read the book of Ephesians earlier in the book, in in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, God chose us for himself before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I mean, that talk about having a purpose and a destiny. It's big. And I believe I would add that he chose us to do his will hill on earth. Now, I want to chase a rabbit for a minute. It's, it's a little bit heavy, but it's not. If you understand uh, what what we're looking at. Uh, but it has it, it shows how important Doing God's will is. And these are some very sobering words from Jesus. Matthew 7, 20 to 23. He talks about, you will know a tree by its fruit. In verse 20, he says, you will know them or recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And implied in that verse is, yes, they did. But he says, he says, but then I will declare to them, I I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, what in the world is he talking about? I think it's important to know. (laughs) Just me and you talking. I think it's real important to know. What is lawlessness? You know, it's important. Uh, I had one of my children recently call me up, upset with me. It had to do with politics and who you're voting for and all that other stuff. That wasn't me. Uh, And and he was he was really upset with me. And he he said, what are your values? And I was really taken aback because I didn't, I mean, I, he was upset. I wasn't sure what it was all about. 
But I would say probably my chief, one of my chief values is the truth. I want to know the truth. And so it's important when you're looking at Scripture to define words when you see them in Scripture so that you can properly understand what the author was communicating to his readers. Not what we read into the English word years later, but what, what it actually says. And so it's important to understand what, what lawlessness is. I, I differentiate lawlessness from three other words that are similar in meaning. The first one would be ungodliness. Ungodliness are practices that are the opposite of God's character. Okay? Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in or by unrighteousness. See, see, there's a lot of deception in the world today. And you don't take a vote on what the truth is. And most that agree, that's what the truth is. The truth is the truth. Period. And there's a lot of deception in the world today and a lot of things that just are not true, even though everybody thinks they, they may be. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says that the grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm so glad I'm under grace, not under law. Just saying. A second word similar is the word godlessness. And basically, godlessness means without God. It's the failure to honor God. It's practices that demonstrate a disregard for God's purpose. In uh, Romans uh, 1, 21 22, it says... For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And I think, for the most part, we live in a godless culture. We really do. A third word, just somewhat related, is unlawfulness. And these would be practices that are against the law. Unlawful to drive 100 miles an hour in the speed zone. But this, that brings us to the word Jesus used, and that's the word lawlessness. Lawlessness literally means without the law. And these are practices that demonstrate a disregard for God's authority. It's a, a failure to do God's unwitting. A failure to do God's will is it's an unwillingness to do God's will. That's a big deal. Psalms 23.3 says that the Lord leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We represent Him. He wants us to demonstrate that we're His children. He has redeemed us from slavery to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. He sent His own Son to die in our place so we could be a part of His family. That's, that's reality. That's truth. He, you know, Colossians 1.13 says, 
He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The contrast is in the kingdom of God, you have light to see reality. Everything else is darkness. Jesus is the Lord of all. And he's our Lord. And he lives inside of you. He lives inside of me to do the will of God through us. To have disregard for his authority over us is a serious matter. Hebrews 4, 1 to 6. I, I, I didn't. We're not going to read that. I just want to summarize it. It challenges us as believers to enter into God's rest. And it reminds us that God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. He had already planned time. He already knew you were going to be here in 2020. And who you are. It, says, it, you know, it reminds us that his works, what he had planned, the, 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 the works for us, were already finished before the foundation of the world. And it states that the children of Israel failed to enter the promised land, not so much because of unbelief, but because of disobedience. They were... They refused to be persuaded by Joshua and Caleb. They set their will against God's authority. The word lawlessness is used in Matthew 7 in the context that we just read. It's the context of fruit that should be evident in those that know Jesus. But it wasn't there, regardless of their religious behavior. In a parable about... The kingdom of God in Matthew 13, starting in verse 24 and follows. Jesus talks about tares that are sown by the devil among God's people. And when the plantings are immature, they all look the same. But when the plants begin to grow and the fruit begins to appear, the tares become evident because they bear no fruit. And in verse 41, Matthew 13, 41, Jesus refers to the tares as stumbling blocks in his kingdom. This, this, this is amazing. Amazing statement. It really is. In, in, in Matthew 23, 28, Jesus has strong words for the religious leaders of his day. I mean, these are the guys that ought to get it. He tells them that they outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They are unwilling to do God's will. It's going to move them outside their comfort zone. They already got their religious system figured out. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, the, the demonstration of God right in their midst, and they reject Him because He doesn't fit their, their system. So if He shows up now, are we going to accept Him or reject Him? If He doesn't fit into our system, I want to know. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Apostle Paul contrasts righteousness and lawlessness is the difference between light and darkness. So, so a disregard for God's authority really is a big deal. We, do, we don't invite God into our life. Hear me now. He has invited us into His. Whew, that's a big deal. I like that. 
life's not about asking God to bless our little kingdom. He's called us to obey Him in His eternal kingdom, which He ushered in in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to be a part of something big, much bigger than ourselves. Now, our obedience isn't something we do hoping to please God. It's a natural fruit that is produced from knowing God, loving God, and allowing Him to love us. He told His disciples in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, He wasn't telling them to make a list of rules and try to demonstrate how much they love Him by keeping that list. That was not in His mind at all. What He was saying was if you stay in a relationship with me, you will know how much I love you and you will want to do what I ask you to do because you see it as an opportunity to demonstrate how much you love me in return. That's where it's at. That's why Jesus said these people who did all these religious things in his name, he says, I never know you. I I, I never knew you. And he didn't. They were around the stuff a lot. But, but all the religious things they did, they weren't things that Jesus initiated. How about that? Another benefit of honoring the Lord's authority is, is found in John 7, 16 to 17, where Jesus says, My teachings are not mine, but it's His who sent me. If anyone's willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak from myself. Do you want to understand Scripture? Do you want to know what God's saying? A prerequisite is that you have made the decision in advance to do what you hear once you it's clear to you. See, I think most of us say, Lord, tell me your will, then I'll tell you whether I want to do it or not. Hello? Who's Lord there? Lord, tell me what it's going to look like, and then I'll tell you whether I'm interested. Something wrong with this problem? See, 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 the Lord has an awesome will for each of our lives, unique. It might not be glorious that everybody knows your name, but it will accomplish purposes that God ordained before the foundation of the world. And... He will tell it to you if he knows he's going to do, you're going to do it. But why waste the time if it's just an option? <laughs> I mean, Lord, really? When the Lord called me to study to be a minister, I was... I never had been a person, person to make much money. And I surely wasn't making much money then. But I had three children. My wife was severely pregnant. With our fourth child. And I sensed the Lord call. In fact, there she sits right over there. And, and, I, and I sensed the Lord calling me to go to seminary and study to be a pastor. So I walked the aisle and I told that to the church. 
People came by shaking my hand and saying, how are you going to do that? How are you going to afford that? I said, I have no idea. I didn't even have a car that I thought could get me out of the state of Florida. I just know he had called me. And that settled it. That's all I needed to know. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know what it was going to mean. And I can tell you the rest of the story another time. But it was good. So, so let me ask this. If you've made the decision that you're going to do God's will, how are you going to know what that will is? Well, we could have a whole series on that. But for starters, there are two verses in the Bible that say specifically, this is God's will. And I want to look at those two briefly. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 3. It says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is not my subject this morning. I'd love, particularly with a group of men, to do some study about this whole thing, about our sexuality and the pressure of how to handle it and all that stuff. I think that would be, there's, there's really power that we can realize we have if, if we're interested. But, but I, I do want to consider what it means to be sanctified. It's not a word I've used a lot in my life, to tell you the truth. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's a biblical word. And so, uh, one of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. And, uh, and I have on my computer a whole glossary of theological words that he has defined. So I go to that sometimes. His intelligence is way above my pay grade. But I go to say, all right, Dallas, how do you define this word? And this is how he defines sanctification. And uh, it, I don't know if, if you've taken notes whether you have time to write all this down. I should have typed it up so I could just give it to you interested, but I can see you after if you want to get it. But he says sanctification is Living in a relationship with Jesus that brings and sustains thoughts, feelings, choices, and habits, enabling one to do what is right spiritually, morally, and prudentially, and to do this out of who one has become rather than external obedience. I'll read that one more time. I know it's kind of heavy, but then I'll kind of summarize my own words. But he says, sanctification is living in a relationship with Jesus that brings and sustains thoughts, feelings, choices, and habits, enabling one to do what is right spiritually, morally, and prudentially, and to do this out of who one has become rather than external obedience. Basically, it means being authentic. And being a mirror of the life of Jesus, because that's what's real to you. Sanctification is just the opposite of lawlessness. It's living in a relationship with Jesus that produces authentic spiritual fruit in your life. 
It's who God wants all of us to become. It's what it looks like to be saved. Hebrews 10.10 says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is past tense. That means our sanctification has already taken place when Jesus went to the cross. Not only were you forgiven your sins, but your very nature was dealt with on the cross and you have the potential to be different. You have the potential to be who God had in mind for you to be before the foundation of the world. An amazing different person than who you are on your own best efforts. And it's available to anybody that wants it. Left my notes there. See, 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 this is past tense. It says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Jesus purchased our sanctification as well as our forgiveness when he went to the cross. That's why there's two elements in communion. We have forgiveness. Because of the shedding of his blood. But we've been made new through what his body went through. And we're all on a journey of learning to receive that forgiveness. But also learning to receive who we already are in Christ. And and you don't take one without the other. You don't say, well, I want Jesus as my Savior, but I don't want him as my Lord. It's not your choice. He is the Lord. You don't have the option. He wasn't here selling tickets to heaven. Hell insurance. He was here so that you could have a brand new life. You could have power to overcome sexual immorality. You could have power to love people you don't like. Help me, Lord. I need help on that one. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Good formula here. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. But boy, you need to find out what the truth is and hold on. When Jesus was on the earth, He prayed for us. In John 17.17, 17, that God would sanctify us in the truth. And he quickly added, your word is truth. That's why it's so important to understand what the word of God's truly saying. As soon as I hear people say things, quote a verse, and then try to apply it. And it's way off in the left field. And I want to stand up and say, no, that's not what it says. My wife passed me on the knee and says, it'll be all right. But that's why it's so important to honor God as an authority in your life. So you are already willing to do what he says, even before you know what it is. And then you read something in the word, the spirit quickens it and you go, OK, here we go. Being sanctified is God's will for our life, but it's not something we can do. Instead, it's something we are to be. It's something we are to receive, just like forgiveness. It's something we are to become experientially as God changes us from the inside out through the sovereign working of His indwelling Spirit. 
as you learn to live in God's Word, it becomes truth to us. It teaches us about reality. What is real? And we are sanctified as we hold fast to that truth. It's a great experience. It's a great journey. Now, the other passage that states specifically, this is God's will for you, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 17. And it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, on the first reading, you may think, well, all right, here are three things I can do. But like sanctification, they are a reference to fruit that would be present in your life when you are in right relationship with the Lord. They describe how God desires you to be. Attitudes that will become default settings. Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, all refer to spontaneous conversations that we have with the Lord as we encounter life. We know that He's with us and we're not alone. We know that He loves us. And we've made a decision to love Him in return by trusting Him with the things that really matter. Not just religious stuff. You know that He's sovereign, that He is aware of our circumstances. So we talk to Him, either verbally or attitudinally. It's, it's really not that much different than sitting around a dinner table with your family and talking about what's going on. There's no stiff agenda. You are doing life together with God. I believe that rejoicing and giving thanks are expressions of prayer in and of themselves. They are, they are attitudes, not feelings. The Apostle Paul tells us that God's will for us is to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Those words sound pretty inclusive. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything. Give thanks. Come on, Paul. I mean, doesn't Paul realize that trials and pains and suffering are things we're going to go through in life? Yes, he does. That's why he wrote what he wrote. See, when trials come, we often get to the end of our own resources and then discover that God provides for us what we could never work up on our own. If you've never been there, you will. And you can go either way. You can say, there can't be a God. Let's look at what He let happen. Or you can say, Lord, if I ever needed you, I need you now. And you discover, as you just hold on to Him, that He reveals Himself in a fresh, in a new way. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 4-7, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, I look this verse up in some other translation, the Holman's uh, Christian Standard Bible says, let your graciousness be known to all men. I, I kind of like that one. You know, let your gentle spirit, let your graciousness be known to all men. People are watching. People are watching these people that, that got in line thinking Jesus is going to be impressed over the fact that they did all these things for him. And he says, I never knew you. People are watching and they're looking for fruit. And you can't fake it. <laughs> there's either fruit or there's not. And the fruit is determined by the root. The, the, the uh, English Standard Version says, let your reasonableness be known to all to everyone. Now, I, I thought that was, a, that was a more modern 
translate that. That's an interesting word. You know, my translation is, let others recognize their fruit that only the relationship with God can produce. Paul isn't telling us to put on a front so we can be a good witness. I don't know if you're better about these people that are going to fake it because you've got to keep the image. Come on, man. Be real. He doesn't say fake it so you can be a good witness. He is saying, press into the Lord and let Him be in you what you're not capable of being in and of yourself. And that will be something very real and very gracious and very gentle. Paul reminds us in verse 5, the Lord is near. And I would add, not only is the Lord near, His kingdom and His resources are near too. Paul continues, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Here you throw around those big words again. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. We'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced what Paul's talking about right here? Boy, if you have, you'll never forget it. Things aren't going right, but all of a sudden you find in the middle that you know the Lord in a way you never would have known Him any other way. You realize you're not alone. You realize how much you're loved. You realize that He is bigger than what's going on. See, we never really know what's inside of us until we get squeezed. We're sort of like a tube of toothpaste. Maybe not, but kind of. You get squeezed and you find out what's inside. But, but the neat thing is, God does know what's inside. And He will use trials and pain in life to bring you to the place where you get to know Him in a way you had never known any other way. He's been there for you and available all along, but you never knew Him like you could until you needed Him to be who He was in that way. And you never would have thought fruit could be produced in you, particularly in times of trial, until you had no other choice but to trust in Him and depend on Him. And then He produces it. And He will lead you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Boy, I like that. I, I like that. Uh, Colossians 4.2 Paul tells the church to devote themselves to prayer. Keeping alert, some translations saying keeping watch in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. And the reason Paul says that to the churches over and over again is he wants the peace of God to guard their hearts and minds. And we all need that. It's a battle. It is for me. God's will for us is not something we're supposed to do. As much as it's someone we're supposed to be. If the being is in place, the doing will take care of itself. There is no way you can miss God's destiny for your life if you will trust all of you that you know about yourself to all that you know about Him. That's where you start. 
And then you can't imagine where that's going to take you. But it's good. I assure you. Been there. I struggled with this decision at the very beginning of my journey with the Lord. I didn't know if I could trust him. I thought he would make me weird. I thought he'd send me to Barneyville to have to work with the pygmies. I was already married, so I didn't worry about him telling me to marry somebody I didn't want to marry. But I really thought he was so hard up for jobs that he couldn't get anybody else to do that if you said, all right, Lord, I'm trusting all I know of me to all I know of you. He said, all right, I got one. I'm going to send him off to Barneo. And what I found out is, no, he said, okay, let's, let me make you become who I planned you to be before I ever made the world. A unique person with your own sense of humor, and I'm thankful for that. Not My family may not be, but I am. He, that, you know, there's only one you. God builds His church out of living stones, not bricks that are cookie cutter. We're all unique. Be who you are. But be who you are in Christ. So you can be free, so that you can love the way only God can love through you. So that you can demonstrate fruit that says there is a difference in life. I know the truth and the truth has set me free. That's what we need. This is Thanksgiving week. I want to challenge you to see your relationship with God is similar to sitting down with your family and friends around a dining table and talking spontaneously about what's going on. I want you to see that. I want you to try that. Just try that. Do life with God. Relax. It's, it's, it's safe. I'm, I can tell you, it's safe. <laughs> okay, just trust me, it's safe. He loves you just like you are. Thank Him for your life. Tell Him what's going on with you. What you're thinking and feeling. He already knows, but He would really be pleased if you trusted Him enough to talk to Him about it. I mean, He would be like, oh, He's acting like I'm real. I'd say, thank you for your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You are who you are right now because of where you came from. You can't change that. But today really is the first day of the rest of your life. Uh, that, that's the truth. And, and the future can be different. I, I challenge you to consider the fact that you already are sanctified in Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. He's waiting for you to want to go there. And the question is, do you want to go? Or, do you want to keep being in control of your little kingdom? It's your choice and nobody can make it for you. But, you know, I, I'm 73. Man, I don't know how that happened. That's crazy. 73, I mean, 73 is old people. You know what I mean? And I'm not one of them. I was just 25 a, a few years ago. Seventy-three, that means, that means I'm advancing years, according to my doctor. 
Crazy. Crazy. The clock is ticking. And if it's not now, when? In terms of getting serious about the Lord. In terms of turning loose. Rejoicing always. Praying without ceasing and giving thanks in everything. Can become your default setting in your life. If that's what you want. Some of us may enjoy our own misery. I don't know. But what do you really want? I guess that's a good question. That's the question I'm asking. What, what, what do you want? Take some time. Be still. Be thankful. Be authentic with the Lord. Just be authentic. You know what? Don't quote me on this. But I don't think the Lord gets upset when you use curse words. Curse words. I think he says, that's my, that's my boy just being real right now. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not recommending cursing. I don't, I don't use profanity. But some people, you know, I've been a minister all my life, and I've had people use curse words, and they oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry, preacher, to say that around you. I said, oh, get a life. You know, it ain't no big deal. If that's who you are, that's who you are. It'll take care of itself in time. Just be real. Be authentic with God is what I'm trying to say. The psalmist promises that if you would delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. And part of delighting is being thankful. So let's be thankful this week, okay? Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your life and your son. Thank you that you chose us before the foundation of the world for yourself. To be holy and blameless before you. Thank you that you sent your son to live a life. So that he knows what we're going through. But so that we can also see what you're like. We thank you for his obedience and love for you. And for what that has done for us. Lord, make that real to us. Grow us. And knowing you. Free us. To be who we are in your son. And use us for your will. On this earth now and in the days to come. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And remember to love one another.